right, good morning again. It's that time to begin. You can turn your devices or your Bible to Acts chapter 21, a new chapter to dive into, turning around the corner there, headed for home, the missionary uh, journey, and now headed toward uh, Jerusalem. More on that uh, to come. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, as we learn some great truths today, some hard truth about the right attitude toward God-appointed suffering that comes as a consequence of being Christians and serving God. It's just, it can be hard in this life. And uh, Lord, but you supply the grace and you always work it for good. So help us to adjust our attitude towards hardship that the gospel causes and brings and the joy of serving our God. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So yeah, if you're just joining us or you missed a Sunday or two, uh, get you up to speed here. We've been tagging along with the team led by the Apostle Paul and uh, Dr. Luke is on board at this time. There's Timothy and a whole bunch of wonderful, dedicated uh, Christian believers who are Uh, obeying the Lord's call now for 20 years to evangelize, to take the the gospel that was born, Christianity, born in Jerusalem, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit there, Acts chapter 2, to take the good news to the rest of the world. And so these men and these women have been doing that, and we've been following along here through parts of the Mediterranean, taking the good news that Jesus... He made a way to escape impending judgment and wrath for our sins. This is good news that he would offer whosoever, no matter how terrible your sin is, whosoever, if you want to escape the wrath of God and live forever in what Jesus called the paradise of God, simply call on his name and trust your life to him and done. That's amazing. Even the thief on the cross well, the last seconds of his life, woo, that was a close one. You know, he had a change of heart right at the end and just simply said, whoa, oh, woo, Jesus, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord said, done. This day, today, you will be in paradise with me. This is a guy who, in armed robbery, killed somebody. That's how you end up on a cross there as an insurrectionist. And so, yeah. This is amazing news, and that's the kind of uh, enthusiastic way uh, that they are sharing the good news here in Acts chapter 21 now, uh, and the team is traveling from Europe home back to the promised land, as it's called Israel, back from Greece to Jerusalem on a boat that's making several stops along the way. I'll show you a map in just a bit, and I'll get you situated that way. Uh, Last time we were together... We were at the port of Miletus there in Turkey, and uh, a little bit of a layover for a few days there, and so Paul couldn't resist because he had spent so much time in the uh, region of Ephesus, which was only about 50 miles from Miletus. So he called for the Ephesian pastors to come back 
down to the dock at least for one final farewell, one last time to exhort them how to live the Christian life as productive and effective and to safeguard their Christian lives and their Christian ministries from harm of any kind. And so invaluable insights. And, and that speech... It took us three weeks, but we went line by line through that to glean all the truth we can because we serve the Lord, and those words are so important. There's nothing like knowing. You're never going to see somebody again to bring out what's really important, as I've been saying. And so we got what's really important, and we're putting it into practice now. So when we left them last, they were on the beach crying and sobbing and praying for one another, saying uh, goodbye. And then this happened in verse 1. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to cause, a little island there. The next day we went to Rhodes, another little island, now, now a Greek island. And from there to Patara, which is mainland uh, Turkey. Now they've crossed over to mainland. We found a ship there in Patara crossing over to Phoenicia. Phoenicia is modern day Syria and Lebanon. Went aboard and set sail. After sighting Cyprus, so now they're cutting straight across the Mediterranean on the ship. After sighting Cyprus uh, and passing to the port side, we sailed on to Syria. Now they're in the Middle East. They're pretty much home. They're just a few miles or so from Israel's border. We landed at Tyre, and that's uh, modern-day Lebanon, of course, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, oh, there's a church in Tyre. We stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. This is a verse that is going to spark some good conversation to come. Verse 5. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and their children from Calvary Chapel, Tyre, uh, (laughs) accompanied us out to the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went on board the ship and they returned to their homes. We're going to park there, but we are going to kind of go to the next couple ports because they get back on the boat and things are happening. And so they're going to get down. We'll, We'll make it to Caesarea where something really dramatic happens. And it kind of is a recurring theme as they get closer and closer to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is warning of danger to come. And what we do with that warning is really what the sermon is all about. So uh, let's get situated here uh, as we now kind of accompany uh, them to uh, their their first homestay, as it were, for a week. And so here in verse 1, they're still on the beach and uh, things are really sad. Uh, the violins and the cellos are playing in the background because these people, uh, they know they're dealing with this fact after years of sharing the joy of the love of God and Paul having led some of them to the faith. He is the father of their faith. He he is the one that encourages them. They've been through life and death together, nearly death, attempts to assassinate them and to destroy them and they survived it together and now they had to what? They had to leave and that's how it goes in this life. 
there's an inevitable, and the King James and other versions uh, have they departed, but the NIV nails it because the word really means to be torn apart. And that's what happens in this fallen world. We're always grieving because inevitably, no matter how tightly your heart is entangled, and rightfully so with somebody, inevitably in this life, there will be a tearing apart. And isn't it wonderful to know that we are headed to a place and partly why Jesus came to die so that we will never experience the tearing away again. And uh, in fact, that separating is really what death is. And he came to destroy death, that we would be with him and hear the word of the Lord. In that day, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, because there's going to be no more tearing apart ever, ever, ever again. With the Lord, with one another, with our loved ones, never to cry one other tear. That is almost imperceivable, uh, almost kind of hard to believe, but that day is coming because God said it was coming, and God is not a man that he should lie. He wasn't born of human beings that he changes his mind, to quote numbers there, and a word about him. And so they say their last goodbyes, and they get off the beach there, onto the boat, and off they go. I'll show you really quick with that map here. So they're in Miletus. So they said they're, they're, the islands they speak of, cause here, and also Rhodes are now Greek Isles, right? And so they go there, and they will really want to get to, they come down through, and then they get over to Patara, where they can find a larger ship that's able. They, the, other, the ship they're on, it's like a commuter kind of boat that hugs the coast, goes along. But they need a, a, a more seaworthy vessel to cut straight across the Mediterranean like that, and they find one, and they go, and they land there at Tyre, and now uh, they're, uh, they have to offload. They're at the mercy of the cargo ship's business and the cargo ship's schedule. So the cargo has to be offloaded, so they have a week. Now, what are we going to do for a week? Well, word gets out, and the Holy Spirit is a really good travel agent for his people. The providence of God kicks in, and he hooks them up. He may, they meet a Christian at port. Something happens. Somebody knows somebody, and boom, they're staying at a little church, as I called it, Calvary Chapel Tire, and that's just amazing. How did, how did that happen? There's no record of a church there. In Tyre. Well, if you do a little detective work, you can always find out what's going on in the scriptures. Let me show you a slide here. 20 years earlier, when the church was a mega church and only one church on the planet, one in Jerusalem, the day of Pentecost happened, and boom, there it was. Well, the Lord told them, don't hang out solely in the, the gospels for the whole world, guys, but they're very Jewish and very much afraid of the whole world. And so they were dragging their heels. They didn't want to go anywhere. So after eight years of that, the Lord allowed something that he hates to accomplish something he loves. And so persecution came, and guess what happened? 
he sent them all out as missionaries in a most unorthodox way of doing that through persecution. On that day, Acts chapter 8, a great persecution broke out against the church. And everyone, well, last we heard there were 5,000 members. There's a lot of missionaries. He sent them out. And only the Peter, James, and John kind of guys stayed. And off they went to Judea and Samaria. Those that had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They were indeed missionaries. And that was God's idea. Through the, And sometimes, listen, the pinchers in your life, Sometimes where you need to be somewhere and you got to move there and you don't want to go necessarily, God's got his ways, doesn't he? Just a little poke, a little jab here. And you know what? Stop blaming the one holding the poker because it's actually God. So you can forgive and let, uh, let uh, stop blaming everybody for how you ended up where you're at because sometimes it's actually where you're supposed to be and God has used the kind of owie to get you there. Uh, so, well, well now, now those believers who had been scattered by the persecution, preaching the gospel wherever they went, when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia. Phoenicia is Tyre. There you go. So they got scattered there. And go, what were they doing there? The verse tells you they preached the gospel wherever they went. And wherever they went was Tyre. And there was a little church born there. So it's been up and running some 15, 17, 20 years or so. And so they graciously hosted them. Who was more blessed? The team that hasn't had home-cooked meals in a long time. They've been on the road for years, several years. Uh, being run out of town, chased all over the place, and now they've got a safe, warm, cozy house with family and friends and prayer partners and uh, dinner and all kinds of fun activities. But who is blessed most? The missionary team or those hosting and giving? It's always the givers who are more blessed, as we learn. Why? Guess who's coming to dinner? The Apostle Paul, do, do they understand he's the writer of 13 New Testament books? Who's having dinner with us? The writer of 13 New Testament books and the most prolific writer of the New Testament, Luke. Luke gets the number one award for the most ink written of the New Testament with the book of Luke and the Gospel of Acts. He comes in first place for volume. So what do you have at the table? You have the, the number one world-renowned theologian, never to be equaled again, the Apostle Paul, and the leading expert of everything Jesus did and said, Dr. Luke, at the table. Can you imagine the testimonies of, of what they had just been through for several years and how Calvary Chapel Tyre was never the same? Those people were, and, and, and this is it. Here's a little truth for you. It wouldn't have happened if they said 12. How many of, how many of them are there? 12 guys? They're hungry. Who's going to feed them? Do we even know them? Should we take a chance? Oh, because they opened their hearts and stepped out in faith and said, Lord, this is you. I want to be a blessing. Boom, who got more blessed? And that's always how it goes. And so 
And that's how the church ended up there. And they opened their hearts and everybody's happy. And, and, but not everybody is happy at those meetings. And at those meetings, verse 4, and it's the recurring theme and something that we're going to dive into here, uh, surprising words that are upsetting words, prophecies about harm coming, and somehow there's a blur of the message that the Christians who are bringing this word, oh no, the, the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, heads up, there's going to be trouble in Jerusalem, therefore you shouldn't go. Well, that's confusing and the lines get blurred, and so we're going to talk about that. It's going to happen again in the next stop. So we'll, we'll save exploring and drilling down deeper about this subject, about how to handle God-appointed hardships. You see, there's a little bit of confusion going on there in verse 4 that comes to full fruition uh, in a couple uh, verses, uh, which we look forward to. Uh, in the meanwhile, uh, it's time to go. Uh, verse 5, and uh, the whole church comes out to the beach. And what did that look like to first century um, people who lived in Tyre? Watching on these people kneeling on the beach. First of all, Jews never prayed. Not that there was a large Jewish community there. They never prayed on their knees to this day. The Jews don't kneel. <laughs> and I, I got a earful once when I, I asked uh, a Jewish person who was in the congregation, uh, you know, you might want to kneel and pray about that. And they're like, hey, don't you know Jews don't pray on their knees? We don't need to beg God because we're the chosen people. To which I said <laughs> something like, oh, you will be kneeling. <laughs> will be because it's through the tribulation that they kneel and ask God uh, to save them and so everything I say that I say that sounds so harsh like that in real life it's not as harsh as I may abbreviate it and make it seem just so you know I'm not like a cowboy out there well you're gonna pray <laughs> you're gonna kneel now <laughs> you know <laughs> No, it, no, it always sounds worse than it really is. Okay, I think you get it. Verse 7. <laughs> we continued our voyage from Tyre. They get back on the boat, and it's just a little hopscotch now down the coast toward Caesarea. Caesarea is going to be the, if you're going to Jerusalem, Caesarea is your stop. Boom, there, you, you got to get off the boat and go 65 miles inland. All right, so it's by land there. So they're, they're pretty much there now. So they have an overnighter, I think, here in Ptolemais, not quite Israel, right on the border as they go down the coast, leaving the next day we reach Caesarea, now we're in the promised land, and stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven. Uh, Philip is a bit of a Christian, if I can use the word celebrity in the best sense of that word, well-known, he's a well-known Christian in the Christian community there in Israel. He's one of the seven, I'm gonna explain that of course. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So I'm going to pause there because at that very house, drama's going to come and that lines are going to get blurred again. Uh, the Holy Spirit is telling us, oh, something terrible is going to happen to Paul, so you shouldn't go. So we'll talk about that. But first let's talk about this very unlikely team sitting at this guy's house, Philip. 
Philip. Let's talk about Philip uh, because he's an amazing guy. He's a real hero for sure. And, you know, back in the day, it says he's Philip the Evangelist. What a great title to give somebody. Yeah, it means he likes to always, he's always telling people about Jesus. Oh, oh, that's what he does. He's Philip the Evangelist. At, he's one of the seven. So that's important. One of the seven. Well, 20 years earlier, when Pentecost happened, the mega church was formed in Jerusalem. Peter, James, and John were the associate pastors of the church, really. And, and James, who was Joseph and Mary's son. Jesus was the father's son through Mary but grew up together with James. James is the pastor of that church there. And when that church was born and had 5,000 members, James and Peter, the other James and John, are pastoring, and and they're coming up on the Lord's Day kind of like with reading the Word and not having too much more to say because they didn't have time to prepare. They felt like they weren't praying enough and weren't praying... uh, preparing enough. Why? Because they were doing everything for 5,000 people, including the food ministry, to the widows. So they said, this is crazy. Acts chapter 6. We, we need deacons. And so they appointed the seven. The seven very first official appointment of official helpers that, that served the pastors and the church in practical matters. They set up the tables. They tear things down. They clean things up. They usher people in and out. They do these kinds of things. And guess who was noted? Philip. For his spirit of being filled with the spirit and his wisdom. So he was one of the seven. Now who is seated there? Well, this, this guy left Jerusalem because of the persecution. Who led that very persecution? Paul. Paul is seated at the table with Philip, and Paul is the one who gave two thumbs up to kill Philip's best friend, Stephen. And it's welcome, the apostle Paul, the former killer of Philip's best friend. And who would have killed Philip 20 years earlier. You see, who Philip would run from his life, for his life, I should say, from this man. Let me sum all of that up with one statement. Whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Let's, we got a rule here. If one person claps, the whole place has to clap. Yeah, you know, that's just really good news that you're not, your life isn't defined by your worst moments, that, that there's redemption, that Jesus comes in and says, you can live as though, listen to this, you can live as though when you come into Christ, you can live as though you didn't do any of that. Why? Because it got put on Jesus and Jesus did it and paid for it and became it. You see, do we have sometimes complications that follow us even though we are totally clean? Of course. That's why you don't say, well, in that case, then I'm going to do whatever I want. No, it doesn't work that way. Amen? Amen. 
So I think you're getting how cool. Before we move on to the drama that's about to unfold, let me tell you a little bit about what commentators point out, a life lesson that we can learn from this one-time um, celebrity of sorts. Everybody knows him. He would be like, oh, I could name a name and you would all know. You know, just say, if I said Greg Laurie, he's written books, everybody knows who he is. That's the kind of guy he was. He was a Greg Laurie, right? And so he led I, from being one of the seven, he goes down to Samaria before Peter, James, and John. Sorry, Peter, James, and John, you were supposed to go to Samaria and preach a revival. But the deacon boy who was in the kitchen serving the old ladies, sorry, uh, the, the oldest senior women, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> he went and he preached the gospel. Demons were flying out all over the place and, and people were getting saved in Samaria. Groundbreaking. Who would have ever thought you'd go with the gospel to Samaria? Philip did. And everyone knows that about Philip. And then what? Holy Spirit leads him to lead some Ethiopian royalty an attendant to the queen, to the Lord, and baptizes them. And then mysteriously, even though the chariot had taken them out of Israeli territory, somehow the Spirit says then he appeared back in Israel, leading everybody to think, whoa, that was, that was miraculous. So here's this guy who everybody says his name, and everybody goes, whoa, it's Philip, one of the seven, the evangelist, the guy, the Samaritan revival. What's he been doing? For 20 years. What's he been doing? He got married. He loves his wife. They're raising godly kids. He works a job, provides for his family. He opens his house for the needs of the church. One writer said, it can be a heavy burden to feel underutilized out of the spotlight, able, desirous, and gifted to serve in greater capacities than the smaller field of service which God has currently assigned. Philip seems to have learned the sweet contentment serving his God faithfully, whether it be in quiet obscurity or enjoying a wider and more recognizable influence. That's beautiful. Listen, I love what David says. The boundary lines for me, have fallen in pleasant places. What does that mean? He's saying, God, you've given me a life that I'm content with. The way it is right now, I'm content. Do, do we always want to be more and do more for the Lord? Nothing wrong with that. But right now, the place that you have me, God, the boundaries of my life, they're pleasant to me because I know you're sovereign and you're good and you love me, and you know all about me, and you know what I want in my heart, but you're giving me what you see is good and proper. The boundary lines for Stephen, for I always call him Stephen, I mean Philip, have fallen in pleasant places. And uh, there's a shout out to the girls who are able-bodied workers in God's word. Wow. Uh, a shout out to this, uh, uh, one pastor wrote that I, I was reading. He said, I wonder if those four young ladies knew what joy, it's, sorry, it's moving, what joy that those girls brought to mom and dad. 
wise children bring unspeakable joy to their Christian parents. And uh, perhaps if you're a young person or older, you have believing parents who raised you in the Lord and you're giving it your best. You have no clue what life-giving joy you provide for your mom and dad. So, And if you're here, way to go, way to go. And if you're here and you're like, I've caused more pain than any uh, joy. Guess what? You have today, don't you? You have today. So praise the Lord for these girls. Now, surprisingly, it's not through the, the four girls who have the gift of prophecy. They don't say anything upsetting. They don't say anything good or bad that we hear about anyway. But there's a knock on the door a couple days later, and here's what happened. We finish up with this, 10 through 14. After we've been there a number of days at Philip's house, a prophet named Agabus, who we've met before, he's also famous. Uh, He was in Acts chapter 11, uh, and he prophesied and predicted a worldwide famine that came to pass. So he's a good man, and he's got a good heart, and he's got another word. So he, he comes over to us. Now that's interesting, because Luke is saying, uh, we, I was sa- seated with Paul on the same little couch. Paul and Luke are sitting together because he came to us. Now he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says this, in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles a little play acting, they did this a lot in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets loved to act something out as a prophetic truth. When we, heard, when we heard this, we, Luke speaking, and the people there, Calvary Chapel Caesarea, sorry, uh, pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Ah, not good, not good, guys. Verse 13, then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart and making it more hard for me? You're not helping me. I am not, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus, who the Holy Spirit is calling me to do this. He's already told him twice that. But I digress. Verse 14, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, okay, God knows the Lord's will be done. So I promise we get to this and here we are. Agabus, the well-known prophet, comes in to the meeting and in Old Testament style drama. <laughs> like, do you remember, what was that guy? He was in First Kings 11, Ahijah, the prophet, was sent to uh, Jeroboam, and Jeroboam was going to su- succeed King Solomon, and to show how God was going to disperse and divide up the tribes, he, he uh, uh, Ahijah takes a new robe, his own robe, and cuts it into 12 pieces, and gives 10 of the pieces to Jeroboam. And says, God's going to give you 10 of the tribes. The other two, they're not going to come over to you. You see, this is kind of what he was doing. There are several other instances of kind of play acting like that in the Old Testament. So 
Agabus gets a hold of Paul's belt. How does he do that? Well, if you're thinking like a Westerner in modern days, that's like a little awkward. <laughs> but listen, here's what happened. They wore leather belts as accessories. They wore them to carry things and clip things to and money bags and pouches and things and weapons. And it was just like a, almost a carpenter's belt of sorts. And when they went into a house, they would hang them right there. So by the door are all the belts. So he picks up a random belt, ties it around his hands and his feet, or however that works, and says the owner of this belt, see that's part of the prophecy. He just grabs a random belt and says whoever owns this random belt is headed for trouble in Jerusalem. Not a new thought. They already knew this before. It's been all over the book of Acts of the, the last several uh, chapters. And so this drama... Some, some would suggest a little unnecessary drama that he could have taken the guys aside, maybe the leaders, maybe Paul and Luke, and said, hey, I got a word over here. It's upsetting. Let me just tell you. I already know you kind of already know. I don't want to further upset people and cause a public outcry and be more uh, of a hindrance than a help. So I'm going to set this truth to you aside. And he could have taken them to the kitchen, done. You know what? You, you're going to be apprehended there. Do you know that? Yes, we've already heard that. Thank you, guys. Let's pray. That could have happened, but no, something a little more drama, a little more involving, and it riles everybody up so that even Luke, by the, by the look of it and the painful ordeal, he's moved to say, Paul, I beg you, don't go. Don't go and let this happen. That's a problem. Number one, good hearts. Is it a truth? It happened exactly like Agabus said. However, the don't go part, that is human reasoning, human emotions. Why? Because if, if, if he doesn't go, he's disobeying God. How do we know that? Twice he said, unless you don't believe him, I believe him when he said, I'm compelled, bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. So God had told him twice. He knows. He knows the voice of the Lord. And he says, listen, I got to go. The Holy Spirit's just saying, be prayerful. Something's going to happen there. You're going to be bound. But and, and here's the part that Agabus, as a man of God, I believe should have done. You bring the hard word, and then as a man of God, you bring in the hope. You say, yes, you're going to be bound. But guess what? God's got a redemptive purpose. When was the last time you were bound? Philippi, what happened there? Oh, God sent an earthquake and the, all the doors flew, flew open and the jailer and his family got saved and the church grew. So yes, you're going to be apprehended again and let's trust the same faithful God to do his miraculous work of redemption. Amen? That's the job of a gospel person. You bring a little bit of the, the hard truth and you don't leave them there. And the way you do it, you don't maximize the, the drama to upset. You minimize the drama of it because we're called to bring peace. We don't change the message. The message can still be upsetting. But our job is to bring uh, peace and so yeah, and by the way, the spirit of the, the prophets are subject to the prophets. That's 1 Corinthians 14. What does that mean? 
Paul says, by the way, you who have the gift of speaking for the Lord, you're in total control of your own life. life. How you say it, when you say it, you've got, you, you just can't say, well, God told me and God made me. Because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, you see. So that's why there's some wiggle room to say what could have, should have, could happen here. Uh, that's what we do. Now, let me show you this blurred line between God's truth of if you serve me, there's going to be some hardship and human reasoning that says, oh, it can't be God if it's hard. <laughs> Same thing, parallel passage. Jesus, our Lord, prophesies on his, where, on his way where? To Jerusalem, where he says, they're going to bind me and hand me over to the Gentiles. Same language, same place, same suffering, only worse. Same reaction, human reasoning. Peter says, oh no, God forbid, takes him aside, takes Jesus aside to rebuke Jesus and say, God forbid, that's not going to happen. And it so touched that human reasoning and that love for Peter and Peter's love for Jesus so touched our Savior's heart that he recognized the devil was at work in Peter and said, Satan, get away from here. You have in mind, now he's talking to Peter, for you, Peter, have in mind human thinking, human wisdom, which is right now the enemy of what God wants. So you're not helping me by pleading that I take the easier path. You're hindering me. And that's exactly what Paul's trying to say. You're breaking my heart, guys. Why, why would you try to get me to sin against my own conscience when I told you I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit who's leading me there? Instead, they should have all said things like, remember Philippi and remember our God and let's be strong and courageous and pray a spirit of confidence and boldness and joyfulness over you. Why not? Well, because humans and this thing called suffering, we just, we just think... You know, we'll avoid it at any cost. Confusing. Why? Because sometimes God will give a prophetic word to Paul in Jerusalem years earlier. Hey, Paul, listen up. They're not going to receive your testimony about me. Get up and get out of here because they're going to try to kill you. Ah, you see, there's suffering and there's prophetic words that God will give us so that he removes us from harm's way. But generally speaking, the call to every Christian is to go to your Jerusalem because you cannot live a godly life and preach the gospel and share the gospel without coming in to some kind of ap being apprehended by something. And the wisdom and the wise thing to do is never to say, well, therefore, if I continue to keep the church open, then I'm going to get in trouble. So therefore, I'm not going to do that. No, no, no. Agabus is telling us, yes, you will be fined. And then everybody will say, well, then you better not. Do you see? We all have to live out the gospel and do God's will, whether or not that will entail some cost to us. And here is the problem. Now, I love Oswald. Chambers. He's a little intellectual for me. I, he, I have to read the paragraph like 
five times, uh, but this one was easy. And I added, I'll show you what I added. To choose to suffer means that something is wrong with you. <laughs> you don't want to choose that. Now, what I added was the with you part because that's what he means, but he wouldn't say that because uh, it sounds a little harsh. But to choose to suffer means that there is something wrong with you. Who's going to say, I want to suffer. Bring it on, God. Even the angels would go, what's wrong with you? Yeah, you know, nobody wants to suffer. Uh, we'll lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. You know, I, that's right and good. But... <laughs> To choose God's will even if it means suffering, which every one of us did. We all have to. We chose Christ, and so he says, okay, you've got to get used to denying your sinful self, picking up your cross, and following me. So we all chose, we all signed up to go to our Jerusalem with our Lord. Paul says, I'm ready, I'm ready. I'm ready because I'm ready to meet God without any fear. And I'm prepared in my heart to please God, to do his will there in that great city, the city of the great king. He says, no healthy Christian ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. That's really the part. And these, these believers really have to get over that. Right. So, you know, the center of God's will is the safest place on earth for you whether or not there's a menacing threat involved, and where, where for God's people is there not a menacing threat? Come on, I, I, I just met somebody who lost a boyfriend uh, because she was insisting on the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, boom, done. I, I, I know people, I, I know Jewish people who got written out of the, the family will because they're going to follow Christ. So if Agabus says, dude, you're going to lose Everything, I'm prophesying. Your dad's writing you out of the entire wealthy Jewish family because of Jesus. And then his, his Christian friends are like, well, just don't talk to your dad about it so much. So, so that, you know, that's a lot of money. You could use that money for good things. You know, just don't press it. Don't evangelize him. Don't care about his soul. Don't care if he goes to hell because you want the million dollars. Sorry. Is that how you're going to live? Yeah. So Agabus is telling you right now, there's trouble ahead. Okay? Because guess what? You want to live to please God. And you live in a world that prefers darkness. There's a little bit of trouble. But if it's God appointed, listen, trust me. If, if, if he doesn't want you in harm's way, he'll make sure you're not in harm's way. But if you get in harm's way, it's a God appointed harm's way. And then he's going to do something like this. Paul gets arrested. He gets put in jail. He's there for two years. He's got pretty good conditions, actually, in Caesarea because he's a Roman citizen. He's got time on his hands. He's got two years. So the Holy Spirit says, hey, Paul, why don't you write your old friends? See how they're doing. Encourage them in the faith. What do you think? How about writing the Ephesians? Okay, well, why don't you write them like six chapters? Okay. <laughs> And, and when you're done with that, why don't you write the Philippians next time? You know, right there in the same cell. Write the Philippians. Oh, you know, why don't you go four chapters there? And then why don't you write the Colossians? Four chapters there. 
And why did you write your buddy, Philemon, had the Christians, including Luke, convinced Paul not to go, you would not have Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, or Philemon. They're all predicated on him being there at that time. Because at that prison, he meets Philemon's runaway slave. So you would not have Philemon. And in every book, the three I quoted before that, you have references to the palace guard. And it's all born out of that. So you would not have those books at all. You see? And P.S., he doesn't die in prison. He gets out the end of this imprisonment. He gets out for a little bit of, of time. So we could have said and heard, Paul, you're going to be apprehended, but who knows the amazing thing you're going to be able to do for God, like write four New Testament books. That would be amazing, and that would be hopeful, and that would have been helpful. So let us when we're talking to our Christian friends, not give them a reason to not go to their Jerusalem. We go to our Jerusalem if God's calling us that way. And we pray for God's goodness and grace and strength because he's always going to bring a redeeming thing that will blow our minds and fill our hearts with joy. Let's pray together. Father God, we look to you in this discipline called courage to face the hardship that the gospel brings to all of us in some form, God. And let us just all say to you, God, thank you that we were born into a time and place that we, don't, we do not suffer extreme persecution as many are in this day, to this day, they fear for their lives to be caught in public with a Bible or speaking the name of Jesus instead of some other prophet or some other God. They fear for their lives, God, and many have lost their lives. But we, we just get <laughs> mocked and pushed around a little bit here and there. So help us, God, just, just, to, just to accept the boundary lines uh, and know that there's blessing and silver linings uh, behind every dark cloud. Just a beautiful blessing waiting for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.